Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back, relax, while James brings you along on his cigar journey. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, sit down with guests from across the industry, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This episode is a very special episode. They're all very special episodes, but this one's a little bit different uh, because we're going to be talking with um, maybe someone that, uh, you know, I, I don't normally have authors on the show. Normally it's it's those in and around the cigar industry, but today we're joined uh, by Nick Hammond. Nick Hammond is a world traveler. He is a former newspaper reporter. He's a, He was a copywriter. He was the inaugural winner of the Spectator Cigar Writer of the Year. He's a journalist. Uh, and all around, probably um, <laughs> the most interesting man in the world and the author of Around the World in 80 Cigars. It's Nick Hammond. Nick, welcome to the show. James, you you need to be my intro man wherever I go. <laughs> I could certainly I could certainly try to do that. But I, I honestly, reading this book, and we'll get into it here in just a little bit. You are you've got to be the most interesting man in the world. Like <laughs> some of the things you have done and some of the places you have gone. And you've smoked cigars in all these places. Like it is, it, it's an amazing book. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, but before we do, I'd like to invite you to go to OxfordCigarCompany.com and use coupon code Simply Stogies. Use coupon code Simply Stogies at OxfordCigarCompany.com and get fifteen percent off your entire order. That's right, fifteen percent off anything you put in your cart. Doesn't matter what it is. OxfordCigarCompany.com. Use coupon code Simply Stogies. I'm Sergeant Seagar from Eyes Forward March. We're part of the Creative Brain Candy Media Cooperative, and I'm asking you to join myself and Sergeant Bacon every two weeks on Wednesdays. We're going to discuss everyday issues that leaders in the military have to face. We're going to exchange stories and have some laughs along the way. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or simply head over to creativebraincandy.com. While you're there, make sure to check out some of the other great podcasts who are part of the Creative Brain Candy family. So, Nick, uh, what was, let me, let me start here, because uh, normally when I start with a guest, I ask them things like, you know, what was your first cigar, um, things like that, but I with you, I want to ask, why did you write this book? What was the impetus behind writing this? Yeah, good question, James. Thanks for having me on. Um, it was a sort of labour of love, really. I, as you rightly said, I've spent my life being a writer of various sorts in various sectors and on just about everything you can think of, really, over the years I've written about, um, you know, uh, for newspapers and magazines and then for companies and brands and individuals and websites. And um, and I've always, you know, in my, all my adult life, had a, a love for the cigar that, um, that I know you share. And, and I always thought, you know, in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be lovely, you know, to spend some time writing about that? And, that, and that's what I started doing maybe 
15, 20 years ago, just as a bit of fun. And it grew and grew into more of my time being taken writing about the world of cigars. Um, and, and as your listeners will know, the more you sort of delve into it, the less you know, and the more you realise there is more to know. And, and it's a never ending journey and you meet fabulous <laughs> people along the way. Um, and it's just a, it's a never ending delight, really. And, and so I started to meet manufacturers and meet retailers and start traveling to, to cigar places and just fell in love with the whole thing. And, and I, over the years, wrote about cigars for, for lots of people, uh, lots of magazines. Uh, there aren't that many writers who write about cigars. There's lots of people who do write about cigars and blog and all that stuff, all of which is very valuable. But, um, you know, as a sort of trained writer, I guess you'd say, you know, I did it the old school way when I was a new hound. I, I do shorthand and I studied law and public affairs and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I came at it from a very classical background, if you like, as a, you know, as a writer across a, a variety of topics. And so uh, that helped me because I was able to get sort of cigar-y stuff into more mainstream publications and um and add a little cigar flavor to the stories i was writing um and that sort of grew and grew and became more and more of, of what i did and i started to write for some of the manufacturers and i started to write for some of the retailers and then i'll get invited to to events and stuff and it just sort of grew from there and i realized um probably back i don't know in the mid mid um, about 2015 2016 that i had this you know massive prejudice probe of stories that I'd never really done anything with. It's not normally that, you know, the stories that are in the book are not the sort of stories that you generally find in magazines and stuff. <laughs> you know, the very personal right. experiences of me being somewhere, doing something extraordinary or interesting, and there's usually a cigar somewhere along the line, right? Um, and so it became, I said, you know, why don't I just write it? You know, I've spent my life writing for other people. Wouldn't it be lovely to write for yourself? Uh, and so, you know, I sort of did, and uh, it took me a long time to convince myself that it was a worthwhile thing to do because normally, you know, you get a project or you get an assignment, you get a commission from somebody and they say, can you go and do X, Y, Z? And what you don't generally do is put masses and masses of hours and work and thought and effort into producing something in the hope that you're going to one day get it out there. So. It's a bit of a leap of faith, but it started and I really, really enjoyed it having, you know, to be able to write in my voice, um, you know, the voice that I hear in my head, uh, <laughs> as right. opposed to writing a style that it was from a magazine or a particular brand or something. It was really refreshing and and that's how it got going, really. And, and from this book, um, you, you've started a podcast of, of the same name, Around the World in 80 Cigars. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me that you're in both of these creative spaces. And what I mean by that is you're in both of these worlds, so to speak. You are, you're in the author uh, category. You, you've been a journalist. You're a proper writer, as they would say, I believe, in, in the UK. <laughs> you are a proper, a proper, proper writer. writer. Yeah. Uh, but you're also in this podcast space, yeah. which includes guys like me, uh, amateur writers, bloggers, vloggers things like that. So you kind of coexist in both of these spaces. And I've listened to your podcast and it's a lot of fun. And you have all of these great guests on from around the industry and people that you, you have known for years. 
uh, and you, you get them on and you get their take and you find out what's going on in their lives. And it's a, it's a fun podcast. I invite you to go check it out around the world uh, in 80 cigars podcast. But like, what do you see as the big difference between these two spaces other than the mediums um, as far as what kind of preparation goes into, you know, journalism and writing a book and, and, and writing for a, a cigar magazine and manufacturers and then, just doing things for yourself where maybe even even just writing the book or doing the podcast or having conversations and, and putting it out there in the ether with people around the mm. industry. No, that's a really good point. And it was, it came about, so the book came out and once it got traction and I realized that it was something worth pursuing and I enjoyed it. And actually, you know, you get a feel for something when you write it. You are, you know, sometimes you have to write about something you're not that keen on. You write it, it's okay, you get it done. Sometimes you write about something that you really love and you have a passion for that excites you or interests you. And inevitably, the end result is much better. And I, and I, you know, thought in my mind that the stuff I'd written was really quite good. You know, I'd never say that to anybody. So it's very very un-English thing to do, but uh, <laughs> but um, but in my mind, I thought this is really good, you know, and it, it and it made me laugh thinking back to these stories and things, and I was chuckling away to myself. I thought, well, that's a good sign, you know. You know, authors always say, you know, write for yourself first, and um, and I think if you've got the right story, then that 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 does work. So that came out. The book came out in. Um, autumn 2019 i guess and then of course you know within six months or whatever the world was turned upside down and you know the dreaded uh, dreaded pandemic was upon us and and my life which to, at that point pretty much again, existed in in terms of traveling um, meeting new people writing about you know um interesting places and people and brands and and you know i, I, I write books for people um as well you know i produce coffee table books and things for brands and uh and of course all of that just stops overnight because um yeah. a you can't travel and b people suddenly are not throwing money into marketing or anything other than surviving at that stage so that was a real wake-up call and i literally thought to myself right what you know what are you going to do what are you going to do with yourself on a daily basis because what you can't do is sit here and look at these walls for the next X number of months. You know, you drive it. Right. And one of the other things I've always done, James, is um, I've never been one to keep a diary, but I but I have kept a sort of audio diary. Um, and ever since phones and my brain have had the capability to work out how to do it, um, I've kept a, a little audio voice recordings of, you know, stuff that's going on, whether that be when the kids were little and they were just playing around in the background and we were having a conversation, or if I was somewhere interesting, I would just have it. And when I was traveling it, you know, I, I would walk down the, around the square in Verona or something, and I'd just have my audio on and you'd hear all these Italian voices and you'd hear the mopeds going past and you'd hear people sitting at the cafe drinking Aperol spritz as I walked past, you know, and it sounds, <laughs> right. it sounds sort of, it sounds a bit trite but when you listen back to those things they just take you straight back there um and i just thought that was fabulous i love loved it and and the stuff when the kids were small you know and they're talking to each other you know and now they're both you know teenagers and grown up it is priceless just priceless almost in a way more than pictures because you know sound is as you know 
doing what you do is such a big thing you know it gets inside your brain and it's like it's like the sense of smell it takes you back immediately to that place and you can remember what you were doing how you were feeling and so I, and I had loads of these recordings from trips all, all around the world and I would talk to the diary you know if I was on a trip sometimes it gets lonely or something happens and you know you lose something or some somebody skips you over in a shop or in a taxi and you feel bad and you're on your own and you're away from your family and sometimes you feel a bit lonely I would talk to talk to the audio and say well you know this has just happened I'm stuck in this hotel it's crap um, I can't get out or <laughs> I can't get a drink or whatever my gripe might be and and they became my way of sort of expressing myself so I'm sorry it's such a long-winded answer um, no, you're fine. Like this is such a great story. I love it. <laughs> Please just yell stop when you when you end up. Um, <laughs> uh, and I thought, you know what? One, I've always sort of thought after a few years, like you know, you have got this treasure trove of stuff. What are you going to do with it? And it's I can avoid with the idea in the background of doing something about the cigars. You know, you've got all this material of you walking around, you know, plantations in Nicaragua or interviewing, you know. Jonathan Drew or whatever it might be and but I just thought I'm too busy haven't got the time I don't know how to do it I know nothing of that world well of course um when, when all this went went mad in uh, early 2020 I thought well now you have got the time on your hands what are you going to do well look just get on with it um right. and so I did in a very very basic unprofessional amateurish way just pick up my contact book and and think, you know, these are people I just think are amazing. Why don't I ring them up and chat to them? Um, I can't go and see them and we can't do the things we normally do. But, hey, we're all sitting at home and we all suddenly learned about this amazing thing called Zoom that I had no idea existed. <laughs> right. um, and so that's literally what I did. And every day, virtually, I would go in my office and sit down and, and fire off a uh, um, an invitation to somebody in my little black book of contacts who I found interesting and we would sit and chat for an hour and it was it's never scripted uh, other than you know let's talk around this um and it's just like two pals having a chat over a pint or over a cigar uh, and it quite often is over a cigar and and it's not just cigars it's you know anything you know I've done all sorts of odd things there's a Savile Row tailor in there who's a pal of mine and talks about making suits for Prince Charles and um, there's a guy who makes these most amazing outdoor wood-fired ovens that he puts in people's, you know, gardens and in restaurants and in celebrity chefs places all around the country. And, and there's just so many amazing people in the world. And I think sometimes we miss an opportunity to hear their stories in, in you know, in the rush to do other things and to watch video or, or, or to, you know, sit in front of a telly. And you forget that audio is huge. I listen to a lot of radio. Um, and I love audio books. You know, I listen to audio books every day and I love podcasts um, and I listen to several of those on a regular basis. And I, I just think it's a wonderful thing. So whilst I would never profess to be an expert um, and to do it, you know, in a fully professional manner, I do think it's a very powerful thing. And it has worked. You know, people do enjoy a long form chat between people that you know comfortable and in each other's company and inquisitive i guess yeah no uh for sure and you have a great way of conveying that in this space uh with your friends and with the people in your little black book as you put it uh that you call them up and you it, it is like 
just, you know, two old friends drinking a beer. Yeah. What else are we going to do during this, the, during the pandemic? And it's kind of, like you said, it kind of turned um, everything and, and like all of our worlds upside down. And, and it has given you this opportunity to do this. And it's such a great space. Again, go check it out around the world in 80 cigars podcast. Because it is. Sorry, just, Shane, did you find it the same? I mean, were you, thinking, right, you know, how the hell is this going to affect me? Or were you able to sort of get on with pretty much what you were doing before? I've been doing this for 10 years, different, yeah, different kinds of over 10 years at this point, uh, different kinds of podcasts and whatnot. So it it, it was more of just me moving into this space um, and and saying, okay, well, I like cigars. Like I found this hobby. How can I, how can I, how can I combine these two hobbies? And so I think if you go and you listen to the first few episodes, as with any podcast, it's really trying to find your feet yes. and find what direction you're going to go. And then once you once you hit your stride, like then it's just keeping that momentum going and consistency and consistency of audio and all, all of those different things that make podcasts so wonderfully frustrating. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> So I want I want to ask this I want to go I want to go back to the yeah. book around the world Navy cigars the the travels of an epicure in the very first chapter like you have such a way <laughs> you have such a way with words Dick like I'm sitting there and I don't want to spoil the chapter for anybody but let's just say that Nick has a great way of mm, like making you feel the suspense the tension <laughs> that's there or maybe not there <laughs> and it just kind of depends. On, on your perception of things, you have this wonderful way of uh, of getting people to perceive it. Like, is that exactly how it happened? Like in your memory, or or did you take some of these some of these stories from you know the audio diary that you kept? Like, um, was anything yeah, no, embellished? Because some of these stories, yeah, I mean, they are pretty much they're all pretty much how it happened. I mean, you know, you, you, with the benefit of hindsight and the wisdom of the ages afterwards, um, you know, you can add a little <laughs> right. bit of color and a bit of um, perspective to them. Um, some of them I have audio from, but some of the, I mean, look, the one you're talking about is Mr. Moustache, isn't it? In, um, it in, is, in uh, Tunisia, yes. which, yeah, I mean, feel free if you want to quote anything from the book, you're very welcome. But <laughs> for listeners who haven't got it in front of them, it's a story about, and it's a it's the start of the book, and it's a very silly little story, really. But it's 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 a useful um, platform from which to launch into this book, which is a collection of of standalone chapters about different escapades and dark things I've found myself doing, and. Um, and this is about uh, a trip to Tunisia I made, um, I guess it was back in the 90s or something. And uh, I managed to managed to coincide my trip with the outbreak of the Second Gulf War. And um, and, and with Tunisia being a sort of a, quite a you know, strict Muslim country, it was all a bit hairy at one point because we weren't sure how we were going to be perceived as Westerners. And anyway, so I rock up, you know, as this fairly clueless Englishman abroad and... Um, you know, riding off and you know into the into the suit into the market and wander about and you know try and make myself at home in um, in suits in, in Tunisia and then I find this little alley and off I go up this alley and turn left and right and in the maid and I find this little tiny cafe in the middle of nowhere and in I go and then it, and it's just the tale this snapshot of being in this cafe when I walk in and there's this really massive hairy 
guy, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, he doesn't speak any English, and I don't speak any any um, uh, well French. Uh, you can speak to them, but I, my French is not that that good. Um, but and we have this ridiculous comedy between us of trying to understand each other, and me thinking, oh my god, he's going to bloody drag me out in a minute and stone me or something. <laughs> And him just thinking this English idiot has wandered in and doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, and that sort of gives me a nice info to the world that I live in. And also the fact that whenever something is going on, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's um, adventurous or fun or relaxing or terrifying, there's never, the cigar is never very far away. And that's, you know, another thing we love about cigars. There's always an excuse to have one, right? You know, if you're celebrating, you have a cigar. If you commiserate and you have a cigar, if you want to get, you know, get yourself up and have a drink on a Friday night and you have a cigar. And if you want to pick and relax on a Sunday night, you have one too. <laughs> and I think... It's such, it, it's so great because you, you paint this picture and you can, you can almost picture this cafe yeah. where you... You know, it's 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 hot. It, it's dusty. This, there's a ceiling fan, and on the television, there's the Gulf War going yeah. on, right? The second Gulf War, and, and he's <clears throat> Mr. Mustache. Excuse me, <laughs> Mr. Mustache is is pointing at the the TV, or so you think he's pointing at the TV, yeah. like almost as if you did this. Why are you doing this kind of yeah. thing? And then you see, and, and so you are freaking out. Internal. That's exactly it. In my mind, in my silly little brain, I'm thinking, oh, he's going, this is your fault. What do you think you're doing here? Come over here. And, and this is, you know, and I'm going, oh, shit, am I, you know, is there an angry mob going to come around and call me? You know? <laughs> and all he wanted, it's so great. All he wanted to know is if you wanted some tea. He was just trying to ask me if I wanted some peppermint tea. <laughs> <laughs> I could just picture you because I would be the same way going, oh, man, what have I got myself oh. into? Like, I'm smoking a cigar. Yeah. Like, is this the last cigar I'm smoking? You know, is this it? Is this the one? You know that feeling, <laughs> that horrible cold feeling that goes up and down your spine and you start to sweat and you think, oh, shit, this is getting out of hand here, you know? And, um, <laughs> and then suddenly the utter, utter relief when I realized, no, you idiot. He's just, you know, trying to talk to you like any normal person. Would. <laughs> <laughs> that would totally be me it's such a, a a great story uh and you have so many of these i, I don't want to say it's like a collection of, of short stories but it, it, it is but they all revolve around cigars yeah. uh or the or the culture uh and, and I, I believe it's the next chapter where you're in bosnia and you you wander out into what might be a minefield like a landmine yeah. field yeah exactly like so the um so you go from you go from one chapter, the first chapter, the opening chapter of with Mister Mustache, where it's it's okay. I, am I in trouble? Am I in trouble? Am I in trouble? <laughs> oh no, no, it's all good. It's just you know, my brain's in overdrive. Yeah. And then to the next chapter, you're like, oh, I may oh, be yeah, in I'm in trouble. Serious <laughs> trouble. <laughs> it's exactly it. And um, and then you, you go from sort of one fairly frivolous story, and it goes into maybe a more serious one for a little while at least, and um. Yeah, that was again another true story. I was sent out to Bosnia um, mid nineties, perhaps, to cover the tail end of the of the war out there, which was, as you know, a horrendous thing. And um, and there were some troops out there, local troops, where I where I was living at the time. And they and so the army said, "Come out and shadow the troops. You know, we want you to we want to be able to show you what we're doing out here. We're doing some good. You know, we're keeping the peace." 
Um, and I was a young kid and I thought, yeah, this is a great way to cut my teeth. You know, I'm going to go and be a war reporter, you know. Um, so off I went and it was just the most re remarkable experience in every way. Um, and, uh, you know, I spent, spent some time living in with the army, um, in theatre, as they call it. And, uh, and we pulled around and went through the villages and, and you know, and got out and, and went up and down the street and there were always armed, you know, always armed soldiers with me. And there were militia from the other sides coming past and the two would like Mexican stand off for a while. And it was all just so surreal. Um, and, and, and yeah, the story that it focuses on, we were in this pretty little village and we stopped as, as the army seemed to do every five minutes for a cup of tea. And, and, and we'd been told so many times when we landed in Split, you know, what you don't do, don't forget, this is the most mined place on earth at the moment. Everywhere, every square bit of land you can think of has probably been mined as these various factions retreat and leave these, you know, lovely boobies for the next person who happens to come along. Um, yeah. Just the most extraordinary, and I, I sort of wax on about this in the book a little bit, I just think mines are the most extraordinary example of human psychology you could ever come up with. I mean, it's hard to imagine a more wicked device that, you know, just to achieve you can understand, let's say you've got a castle and you mine the land around it so no one can attack you. Fair enough. I can sort of see the sense in that. But then let's take the sure. example of, you know, you're a retreating force who's retreating in the face of an overwhelming enemy. But then you just mine everything. So that not only are you going to take a few of them with you, but then it renders that patch of land useless for the next hundred years or whatever it might be. That it takes to clear it and it's not only your enemy then by this time of course is everything and anybody and anything that comes anywhere near whether that be a you know um whether that be some deer or animals or cattle or children or it's just the most extraordinary psychology i think about mines and um anyway i digress but we've been told so many times for god's sake don't stray off the hard standing just stay you know where you know that it is concrete and then you're safe that was basically what they told us but of course you, you know you're just not used to that instruction and also i'm a bit absent-minded as you may have gathered from the from the various <laughs> stories I, I tend to go off in a flight of fancy and my brain takes me somewhere and i start thinking about something and maybe i'm thinking about how would i write this story or who would i have in it and what would the intro be and then i just start wandering off and and then I just hear this this old guy calling in um and and, and calling a, a local chap waving and shouting. I look around, I can't understand what he's saying. But he's saying, Mine, Mine. I, I I realized at the time he, afterwards he's saying Mine. And I could I could just think, I don't know what he's talking about. So I ignored him and I carried on wandering off. And then, right. and then one of the soldiers starts shouting at me and you know, basically says, Don't move. And and then, of course, with that horrible sinking feeling yet again, <laughs> I think I've dropped myself in it. I, I realise that um, that it, I might just be, you know, wandering about where there might be some mines. So, and and what adds beautifully <laughs> to the story, of course, in hindsight, and of course, the fact that I'm talking to you now means that uh, I wouldn't. Um, Right, yeah, like, like you wrote area. the book. <laughs> right, I do. I I knew you lived because I, I I looked to see who who wrote the book. So I was 
I was I was cool with the story. Yeah, and um, I at the time I had um, got a little a Monte Cristo number four, I think it was, out on my my mum yes. and um, a little Cuban Monte Cristo, and I was sort of contemplatively smoking this when all this went on, and so it it was, gave me a lovely hook to describe how I felt at that moment and the emotions that went through me, and you know I can distinctly remember, you know, the, the feel of the breeze against my skin as I talk about you know you suddenly realize all the things that you don't even know to take any notice of when you are forced to yeah suddenly you know contemplate your mortality in that way I can remember every sound every sight and everything was so rich and clear and you're thinking hell you know I hope I get through this um but the Monty was with me and I think you know if it hadn't been for that scar I think I would have been much more you know um crazy you know I, I I think I would have been much more psyched out by it all, but because of the, you know, our blessed cigar, it was there with me even in my moment of peril, you know? Right. Because the cigar is a way to slow down. It's a way it, it forces you to kind of slow down and take stock of, of the situation, no matter if you're just relaxing, whether you're celebrating or whether you're standing in the middle of a possible minefield. <laughs> no, exactly. James. And if you're going to, if you're going to force yourself to be Zen, then there's no better way of doing it. I don't think. That's right. <laughs> but let me, I, I want to ask one not so serious question mm. uh, before I, uh, we kind of uh, move on a little bit. Cause I have a, I have a ton of questions for you and your perspective uh, of certain sure. things, but uh, my, my like non-serious question, are you a, are you a star Wars fan or not, Nick? Like you're, you're killing mm. me with, with this, <laughs> with this other Tunisian story where you, where you go and you're in the, uh, you, you go to where the, 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 the Skywalker ranch yeah. was on, on Tatooine. Yeah. And, and of course in the book, you, you're proper British. Like I do not know. I'm not watching star Wars. Absolutely not. I am here because I wanted to go to the Coliseum. <clears throat> I have no, I, I have no desire to be here. Uh, it's hot as, as hell. And I'm going to go smoke a cigar yeah. outside. Yeah. Are, are you or are you not? Like on the record, Nick, let's find out. Are you a Star Wars uh, fan? Here's the deal, James. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had an Epat and I had a Jabba the Hutt whole pit with his dungeon and I had Stormtroopers and Luke Skywalker in many forms <laughs> and I loved it. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars fan still. Uh, my wife and I finished the book above a fat last night. So. Yes, well, funnily enough, I've just picked my girls up from school, and the first thing they said to me was, "It's the last one. We're going to watch it tonight," and so we're going to do the same. Nice. <clears throat> you're in for you're in for a, a, a good treat. I think I, I enjoyed the last episode. I think more than I, I enjoyed uh, uh, the rest of them. Oh, good. I want to I want I want to ask yeah. you, Nick. Because you, you've gone to a lot of places, and I think I know the answer to this question, but you, you've gone to a lot of places around the world. You have visited a lot of um, different areas. You've you've met a lot of different people. You've 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 interacted with a lot of different cultures, and I think just based on on one of the chapters in your book, I think I know. But what is your favorite place to travel to? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I ask myself that a lot. And I'm a very um, Catholic sort of person in my taste. In that I, I like all sorts of music. I love, I love opera. I love 
rock and roll i love blues uh, you know and 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 same with food i like to try foods from all over the world and i like different cultures you know sometimes you sometimes you just want to walk around london and hit the bars or sometimes you want to you know do something totally out in the ordinary and be in tokyo eating sushi or but yeah there's always something that really gets you and i i have to say i I found being in Africa very spiritual for me, particularly being out, you know, in the wildlife. And as it happens, I'm touch wood and touching all available and fingers crossing all available. I'm due to be flying out to Kenya on Sunday, um, which is my first big trip for blood. Well, it must be two years or something. Um, wow. Yeah. So I'm sort of a immensely looking forward to it and be slightly nervous and a bit stressed about all the bloody regulations and hoops you've got to jump through in order to get there. But um, yeah, yeah, I, can yeah. I mean, it's just, you can imagine trying to figure out what the Kenyans want you to bring from their websites. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't, they're not the best at explaining themselves. Bless. But no. Um, yeah, no, Africa to me, being on safari is a life changing thing. And if you've never done it, I, can't urge you strongly enough to do it um even if you're not you know I'm, a, I'm an outdoor guy i love wildlife and nature and even that's not maybe if that's not your biggest thing i'm sure you get something out of it um it's just such a such a, a beautiful way of spending time away from all the things that we're used to in this modern life that we live in and i'm not saying all of those things we have are bad because you know we're blessed aren't we and we live in you know warm houses and eat food when we want to Absolutely. And, 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 and all the rest of it. Um, but to be able to go out and sleep in a tent and observe these incredible creatures up close is a, it's such a privilege, you know, and then and there are places in the world where our kids and their kids may not get a chance to see some of these animals. That's the reality of the world we're living in. So, I, but apart from the moralizing and all of that stuff, I just think it's just, it just stirs my soul. And you wake up in the morning, um, you go on an early morning game drive, and you know you might sit and watch a pod of hippos and listen to them honking, and then maybe you spot an elephant or even a herd of elephant. And if you park up and they come right past you, and you can hear the plods of their feet and they and and then breathing through their trunks and then snapping twigs and then they rumble to each other and it's a huge sound that and then you can hear their stomachs rumbling as they go past and and then at night if you sit around the campfire and suddenly a lion starts roaring and it's probably miles away but it sounds like it's you know in the next tent and this noise <laughs> is the most extraordinary noise you you would ever hear it's a it's at such a pitch that it throbs through your guts you can feel it let alone hear it and they make this sort of noise like this and it just sort of booms through you and of course there's something very prehistoric about an animal that's going to eat you um every sort of every alarm bell in the human psyche goes off and you're sitting there going oh my god <laughs> and every hair on the back of your neck and all the cliches you can think of, you know, and it it is just wonderful. So, yeah, that would be my answer. I think I'd do that. Um, but I love, you know, I love the sea. I love 
love I love Caribbean for obvious reasons. You know, I love I love it all. Yeah. Do you think that maybe you like Africa because it it reminds you on a, a on a primal level of just a simpler time? Like we're we're so inundated every day, especially during the pandemic, mm-hmm. because what the hell else are we gonna do? We've got TVs, we've got podcasts, we've got radio, we've got every we've got our phones all the time. But in when you're when you're out in the wild and like even even to say that, because you're very protected yeah. when you do these safaris and it, it's all uh, there for you to enjoy and not be in any kind of sort of real danger. But at the same time, that's as close as we're going to get in, in a modern day life to being in the wild. Um, do you think that that's uh, a, a kind of a, I don't know, that's why you kind of sense that on a spiritual level and then to kind of bring that back to cigars, like when you enjoyed that cigar in the, uh, in the hot tub that night while you were, you know, after everything was done and everything's over and you're listening to the sounds of the jungle, were you able to slow down and experience that in a different way because of the cigar? Cause that's a touch of modern, um, there in the, in the wild. Was that, uh, like, can you describe that for us? Was that, do you think that's maybe why it was a little bit more of a, of a, religious experience yeah for i think so i think it's partly genuinely i think it's to do with africa and particularly the east you know the plains of africa are, are the cradle of mankind you know as far as we know and from fossilized records that is where man first sort of walked or walked as a homo sapien and so i think there's an echo of that i really do and yeah you're right also i think it's so Raw is not the right word. It, it sort of sounds um, dangerous, and as you say, you know, don't worry about going there. You are you're with you're with guys who know what they're doing, and you're looked after royally. And, and honestly, the food and drink and the fun and laughter is just extraordinary. But um, yeah, it is the wildest thing you can experience, I think, because it is real nature untrammeled by man as much as possible. So these animals roam hundreds and thousands of miles across vast tracts of land obviously there's an issue more and more of it is being carved up but that you know it's such a huge place you know the sky is so massive you know they talk about a little they talk about oh we've only have a little reserve here or something and then they'll tell you it's you know fifty thousand square miles or something um <laughs> it's only a yeah little you reserve. can't get you you just can't get your head around it and and, and it's everything is on such a grand scale you know down to the animals and the sunsets and the sunrises and the birds are just the best spectacular you know you see these incredible birds flying about you say wow this is like you know disney (laughs) um and yeah i think that is it you are there and you know what it's like if you if you get out in the sticks and 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 get out in the fresh air and sun on your face and by the end of the day you, you you're tired, but in a good way, tired, and and your lungs are full of oxygen, and and you know you think really this is the way we should be living, not sitting on our backsides all day long and just scoffing rubbish, you know, um, which yeah. we all do because that's absolutely you know, that's what our, our life is, unfortunately. But the more you can encourage yourself and make yourself have those experiences, I think you're right. I think you really get a glimpse of what life should be about. All right, so I want to switch gears just a, a, a little bit again, but I, I want to talk about your love affair with Cuba yeah. 
because out, out of all of the chapters in your book, Cuba, I felt maybe it's just me and maybe it's in my head, but I felt like that was the one where you really connected with and you connected not only with the cigar culture, but with the people. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your love affair with Cuba and, and then even Cuban cigars? Because as Americans, as you know, yeah. uh, we, we don't we're not able to get those. So I want to I, I want to talk about this and then I want to kind of go into the differences uh, a worldview of Cuban cigars. So, what, what, what's with the love affair of yeah. Cuba? No, you're, you're right. It's it's almost impossible not to fall in love with it um, if you go there. Now, I understand the um, sensitivity of the issue with with a lot of people in the US. You know, a lot of Cuban expats that you know have got stories to tell and don't like. The fact that you know we bang on about Cuba, I do understand that. In fact, I had a lot of conversations about people um, about the chapter, whether or not it should even be in the book. And I and I'm a, somebody who has no axe to grind, right? You know, I'm no, I don't sit on any particular one side of the fence. I don't, uh, you know, I've always been as a journalist, try to be ruthlessly impartial and just talk about what I see in here and how it feels to me. Um, and whatever, wherever you fall on that political thing is entirely your business but if you're writing a book about cigars and travel then um to my mind it would be irreparably poorer if you didn't write about cuba it is a stunning magical strange sad beautiful magical as, as i say place you know it is it is an extraordinary place to visit because there's nowhere quite like it um you have this yeah. sort of you have the Caribbean vibe, of course, but it couldn't be more unlike Barbados or somewhere. You have this faded grandeur all around you, everywhere, of when this was the playground of the rich and the famous and the great and the good and the not so good. Um, but that is the crumbling facade. And behind that is this really sad story of people who you know, just struggle to uh, to eat on a daily basis, frankly. Now, having said all of that, yeah. um, you know, a lot of them are just genuinely really happy, lovely people who have a, just a tremendous charisma about them. Um, and they take you to their bosom in an instant and they look after you and you become part of the family. And, you know, they, they, they sort of insist that, no, you must come back. And when you come back, you stay with me. You know, you can't stay anywhere else. This is, that's the sort of, people they are they they are incredibly open and warm compared to for example you know like a westerner a londoner or somebody or a brit you know you meet them and we could be good friends by the end of a, a couple of weeks but for a cuban you know you, you spend a couple of hours in a bar with them <laughs> and you've got a power for life you know and, and that's very very attractive in their in their personality and they're very quick to smile but they they have a lovely way of enjoying themselves, knowing that they don't have a lot, but what they do have, they really enjoy. And, um, and that's why I think, you know, if you, if you ever get the chance, you should just go and, and, and experience it. It changes a lot, Cuba, I've noticed, in the sort of 20 years or whatever since I've been going. Um, it goes through phases, it goes through periods. You know, there's a, maybe a re relaxation in, in some of the, the attitude from the US and things get a bit better. Um, 
economically perhaps for them and then something changes or the government has a crackdown or maybe they get a bit more access to the internet or maybe a bit more private business is allowed but the, the country changes quite a lot over the years you know you can you can go one time and go back two or three years later and you can feel there's a difference and um i haven't been there for a yeah. few years two three years but i had a pal who was recently there and he said it really changed um they are they've had a terrible time economically and and he said mm. for the first time um you know there there is a lot more crime um you know sort of petty crime and and you don't feel as safe as you once did. You know, that was the beauty of Havana. You could walk along the Malacom with a bottle of rum at three o'clock in the morning and you'd be absolutely safe as houses and talk to anybody. Um, and it sounds like, you know, it's just because these people are so desperate that that may be changing, which is terribly sad. But um, but it is, yeah, it is just such a, an enchanting place. Yeah, I, I'm doing a, a Cuban series with a mutual friend of ours, Nick Cirrus, yeah. uh, from LH Cigars. Right. and. Uh, yeah, great dude. Uh, very knowledgeable when it comes to Cuba, and he yeah. he mentioned that he met you in Cuba. That's right. Um, but so you're you're an author, obviously. But why not write the book? I mean, I'll just ask you point blank: Why not write the book on all of these Cuban expats and their experience? Because as cigar smokers, yeah, we always kind of romanticize a little bit. I think Cuba and Cuba is a. It sounds like it's a very beautiful country, and I can't wait to go one day. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like they are a lovely people and based on their history, they've always been under somebody's thumb. Yes. They've always been somebody's pawn all throughout their history. And why not write the book and tell the expat side? Because I think they do have uh, a legitimate uh, gripe and complaint to, to continue to pressure the U S government to, uh, you know, keep the embargo up. And so I, I understand their side of it. But I also understand the plight of the Cuban people. So why not write a book? Is it just because it's too politically um, divisive? Like no, no, I think that's a really good idea. Um, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, my first thought would be as a journalist, author, an entrepreneur, we write. How do we pay for it? Um, you know, how do you fund the production of the book? Uh, and then I would think. So what what sort of a book is it going to be? Is it going to be a is it going to be a, a proper read or is it going to be a coffee table? Is it going to be is it going to be a heavy book? Is it is it going to be lots of stories about families ripped apart, businesses burning, or is it going to be a story of, of redemption and um, you know rebuilding elsewhere? I think it's a, a very good idea. I think it could be a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B yeah. as far as is it a story of redemption or is it a story of families torn apart and buildings burning? Because I think both of those things are true when it comes to the story of the expats of, of the of the Cuban people. I mean, these these guys were had their farms ripped away by the communist government. Yeah. Um, they were exiled. They were dissidents. They were, you know, beaten, killed, flogged. Like it does like it runs the gambit. Yeah. Yeah, and then so, are you particularly thinking cigar families? Uh, yeah, I think cigar families. I think that would be look. There, you could start there, but I, I, I'm certain you wouldn't end there. There, no. the stories are are very varied, uh, various backgrounds and 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 long. So the book could encompass all of it, but I mean, you could certainly probably just do one on 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 Cuban cigars. 
Be- I mean, because here's the thing, right? Because now we're going to get into New World cigars versus Cuban cigars yeah. and, and and the the attitudes around the world. Because here in the U.S., we're kind of sheltered from it. And because, you know, Cuban cigars are kind of hard to come by and uh, here in the U.S., there's a lot of, well, there's only, you only want them and you only like them because uh, of the, uh, you know, you're not supposed to have them. It's the forbidden yeah. fruit yeah. syndrome. But around the world, uh, elsewhere, outside the U.S., because this is a big, big old world. It's not just us. Uh, Cuban cigars are regarded as these cigars to have, although it kind of feels like that attitude might be shifting somewhat. And the world is kind of opening, uh, being open to some of these new world cigars that the U.S. has, has produced and, and others elsewhere. Is that the case? Uh, do you see that or are you still of the mind, uh, Nick, that that? For yourself, like Cuban cigars are it, and, and as far as the rest of the world goes, like they're the same way. I think you're definitely. I think it definitely is the case that in the last 10, 15 years, that New World cigars have really stolen a march on what was a massively Cuban market. I don't. I think any figure would would tell you that. Um, there are still places in the world that are still hugely predominantly Cuban. I mean, London is still a very big Cuban market for those that decide that's what they want. And there's various nuances for that. And not just, it's not a straight question of are they better or are they more, you know, tastier or are they better value or whatever. It's more to it than that. There's a lot of reasons. But from my perspective, as I think I write in the book, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said, right, you know, um, we're going to shoot you in the morning, what's your last meal and, and, and what's your last smoke, I would probably have a, you know, a great bit of of beef, soft beef, and I'd have a a lovely bottle of claret, and I probably would choose a really good Cuban cigar that I knew was going to work. And um, (laughs) (laughs) but and that's because you know I do think it it is by God's grace, you know, the thumbprint on the on the earth where cigar tobacco seems to grow best. I just think that is, I do think that's a fact, but. That's not to say that fabulous cigars aren't made elsewhere. And and the fact that it is this, you know, hallowed ground with all the right things, you know, doesn't stop human beings from buggering it up and um right. and like over <laughs> and over farming it or and under investing in it and then, you know, overproducing and um and all the other problems that we know and recognize that Cuba, you know, bless it does have. So that's why I think it's great that I have this Catholic place because I can get benefit from everything. I don't sit here at night when I'm about to like start pining thinking, I wish I could have a Cuban. (laughs) I love them when I have them and when they're good, they are sublime. Um, But there are plenty of great cigars out there made by people, as you know, from all over the world, Um, particularly Nicaragua is now huge. And a lot of that is down to, to, to United States money and folks, from, from your part of the world that have invested that money and that infrastructure and that uh, the knowledge of some of those expats and stuff, which is their redemption story, I guess. So no, yeah. I, I love it all. And I, I love the variety. I think that's a great part of the interest for me. Um, you know, my life is about trying new things and finding new stories or new angles and meeting new people and going new places. That is a big part of what keeps me, motivated and interested and, and and in cigars that's as i said at the beginning I mean, that's just an endless journey isn't it it really is it really is so at 
what has your new world cigar journey looked like? Like, where did you, I guess, why did you start smoking new world cigars? Was it just because, okay, well, this is just something different than a Cuban or was it, uh, you know, the Cubans aren't, uh, like, you know, a couple out of every box that I have aren't smoking right. Like, what was it that prompted you to go, let me check these out? That's a good question. Again, I think the maybe one of the initial reasons that gets people into it, especially over here, is first is price. Because when you're a youngster and you like the idea of smoking a cigar and you go to this cigar shop and they say, here's a cigar, so it's only a little one, but it costs you £20. And... <laughs> And then you yeah. think, well, this isn't something I'm going to be sustaining for very long. Um, and and then, then you start doing your research and you talk to people and you find out that there's cigars from other places that aren't as expensive. And I think a lot of people start that way, and I would probably have been one of them. Um, and then, of course, you know, when you get deeper involved, as I, as I do, then you begin to know the characters and people behind some of these cigars and, indeed, some of the places. And... Um, and then you sort of have a bit of a soft spot for them and, and you sort of fall in love with them as well. So, for, for example, I wrote um, Hoya de Nicaraguas at the book to celebrate their 50th anniversary, Cinco de Cadas, uh, the rise of the Nicaraguan cigar. And so I spent some time over there with them um, in that marvellous country, um, interviewing amazing people and politicians and historians and poets and farmers and and people in, in that factory, you've got the most extraordinary story to tell. And, um, and of course, so that now holds a very dear plate in my heart, that, that factory and, and those people. And, and that's what you do. You're like a magpie, really, as a, as a roving writer, I guess. You go around picking up these little nuggets and you, 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 you keep a little of something of all of them in you. Like I always say to my wife, I'm, I don't know, I'm no expert in anything, but I do seem to know an awful lot about an awful lot, you know, a little bit of an awful lot of things, you know. Someone, I guess that's what makes me a good conversationalist. If you're in a pub, someone will mention something, and there's a good chance that over the years I will have dabbled in it in some way or another by interviewing somebody involved, you know. Uh, you know, but I used to get, because I write in this way that is quite, um, I don't know how you describe it, first-hand sort of experientialist style as you say you could in your mind yeah. you can picture it and and that is my great strength i think uh, that i can write so that you, i carry you with me almost and um and the magazine over here picked up on that years ago and, and they used to send me off to do all these wild and wonderful things because i could come back and paint this picture that you know really it was quite evocative to the readers and they'd say right we want to send you lobster fishing off scotland and i'll go up and get in the boat with this this hoary old lobster fisherman and off we'd go in the sea spray would be flapping in the face and I'd be like trying to keep my, keep my feet and and I could sort of report all this back in a way that makes you feel a bit like you're there and I guess that's really where the the, the, the beauty of that medium comes in because I love to read I've, I've read all my life and my, my kids love to read I just think it's the best thing if I've got 10 minutes I'll grab my Kindle and I'm into my book that I'm reading at the moment. I just adore it because it, to me, every time you open that book or, or flip that page, you, it's escapism. It's going back to when I was a kid and I'd sit and read, you know, um, dinosaur stories or I'd read Conan Doyle or I'd read Jules Verne or, um, 
And my mum would say, come on, you can't sit there all day. You've got to go and get some fresh air. Or go. And I'd, you know, I'd rag my heels out. All I wanted to do is fit in deep with these adventures and these stories, King Solomon's Mines and all of that stuff. Um, and I think that takes me back to it. You know, it's a very strong urge, that childhood thing, isn't it? Uh, the older I get, yes. the more I realise that actually all you, all you ever really want is what made you, made you happy when you were a kid, pretty much. And I think that's right. Yeah, you know, things that really you loved when you were a lad you know maybe it was whatever it might be you you love cars or you love the outdoors you know i always love wildlife and it sticks with you and i think you know we spend so long getting away from that and learning about the world and doing stuff and then we forget actually to go back to those things that really make us fly and and uh, i think writing and being able to write is one of those things for me i was never much good at any other subjects you know, I haven't got a maths brain or I'm not a businessman or, but I do seem to have this ability to express, you know, in a way that is compelling things that, that I've been able to see and do. And that's why it's been a blessed ride, really. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You do have this, this, this way of doing that where you, you paint this whole picture and as a, as the reader, you can almost smell the cigar. You can almost... <laughs> you know, taste the dirt in your mouth from, from the, uh, you know, the dust in the air, yeah. you can almost like it, you really take us along with you. And so when you paint a picture of these places like Cuba and Nicaragua, and you can tell that you, and, and even, uh, Africa, you can tell that you've fallen in love with those places yeah. and you describe them in such a way that as the reader, you fall in love with those places as well. And, and so, I, I really do think that you you have a fantastic book. It's called Around the World in 80 Cigars, The Travels of an Epicure. And if you're not sure what Epicure means, that means you're probably American. <laughs> Go look it up. <laughs> Go look it up. Yeah, that's, what I had to do. Day, <laughs> that's right. That's what I had to do. Um, but it is a fantastic book. And you have a great podcast called Around the World in 80 Cigars podcast, Nick. Uh, Go check them out. Follow him on Instagram. Uh, his handle is Nick underscore Hammond underscore writer. You do some things on YouTube as well with some friends in the industry, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another lockdown became a lockdown project. And thank you for your kind words, by the way. It's lovely, lovely to hear that because you, when you're a, a lone wolf, you know, you spend all your time sitting on your own. And I spent a long, cold winter in my little office in my garden, finishing the book and um, and wondering, is anyone ever going to read it? Are you just wasting your time? So to hear, you know, your words, and you've obviously read and enjoyed it, is an absolute joy for me, and and, and I really appreciate you saying it. Um, yeah, when lockdown came, uh, as we've already discussed, there was I just tried to keep myself as busy as possible, and I'm uh, and one of my pals in the industry over here is Lawrence Davis, who owns the Southwest Cigars uh, store in Mount Street, one one of um, one of the world's probably most famous cigar stores. Um, and a, a marvellous little place. It's just like a, a little magic harvest of cigars. You know, you never know who you're going to see in there and, and, and what you're going to end up talking about. And he's um, such a character, Lawrence. He, he's um, larger than life in every respect. He used to be quite a big chap until about two years ago. And then he's just lost a massive amount of weight. He's lost like 11 stone. Um, and he's, you know, he's a remarkable character. He's, he's got such a, a, such fortitude. If he decides he's doing something, he just does it. And he's very, very dry and very funny. And, um, 
and that he's a great pal and we have such a laugh and we decided that we you know let's do something to keep people entertained in the same similar theme to the podcast really um and he said let's let's do some we, we did some started doing some live instagrams and so on a tuesday night at six o'clock we do an instagram and anyone who happened to be around could join us and we'd have a smoke and i would do a cigar quiz and that's what we did for weeks and weeks and months and months and months and and it got real following and people enjoyed it and we used to do it on a tuesday and a friday and it and it's gone on for years and we we, we eventually abandoned the tuesday one when lockdown started to ease uh, no sorry the friday one but every tuesday at 6 p.m we all gather uh, uh, under the souter banner and we talk absolute rubbish um and, and as a result <laughs> of that we also started filming youtube videos um and that would generally in, involve lawrence and i sitting around and tasting a cigar of the day whatever that might be um new a new cuban uh, i've managed to drag him kicking and screaming into the new world uh, beer, <laughs> <laughs> which i was told it would never happen so you know i knew i just played a long game and um there's lots of banter lots of fun and he absolutely rips me to pieces um and I, I very sort of slyly get my own back to those that watch carefully. And now it's, yes. um, yeah, it's a, a sound for YouTube, that they, they really are popular. It's extraordinary. We, we just sort of ramble on about things that are going on, but people seem to like it. No, it's great. It's great content. It's very funny. Uh, you guys go check it out, uh, YouTube, and then uh, at the Souter, uh, uh Isn't it on their uh, Instagram or your Instagram? It's on one of their Instagrams. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember. yeah, yeah. It's on the Souter Insta, and you there know, you, and you can, yeah, you'll find it on YouTube. But um, yeah, it's a bit of so fun. I, I want before we before we get out of here because I, I I know you're busy and, and like your your kids are home now and from school, and so you want to go spend time with family. So I don't want to keep you too long, but I, very quickly, hmm. if you take Cuba and Nicaragua out of the equation yeah and what is in your opinion the best cigar lounge that you've run into because you do a lot of traveling so when you're out and about like where's the one spot that you really really want to smoke a cigar all the time where you think to yourself man if i could be there right now that's where i'd be wow that's a really good thought lawrence and i are planning just before lockdown that we were going to write this book I was going to write it. He was going to help me put it together. We'd finance it called 100 Great Places to Smoke a Cigar. And we were getting people to suggest all these amazing places around the world. And of course, all this happened and the ability to be able to actually do that and to interest people in in becoming involved has dropped. But we will pick it up again. There are so many great places and not necessarily because they're squish or fancy or even cigar bars. It might just be a fabulous spot that you like to smoke. But in terms of actually narrowing it down to lounges and bars and things. So Cuba's out, Nicaragua's out. Um, Anywhere in the world, the lounge that you like the most, whether it's the atmosphere, the people, the selection, whatever it is, like what's that one lounge that you're like, this is it. This is if I was going to visit one last cigar lounge, (laughs) this is the only one I was going to be able to, this, this is where I would go. Depends what you want out of your trip, James. I mean, if you want a city visit where you can wander about and keep the missus happy and do a bit of shopping and have a bit of food and then nip into a fabulous lounge, then I, I, you can't say fairer than the one in the Kempinski in Munich in Germany. It's beautiful, opulent, 
Um, you can sit up at the bar, grab yourself a, a nice pilsner, and then wander across the, the foyer with this beautiful um, cupola in the ceiling, which is like a stained glass. And then you go up into this really lovely little cigar lounge where they'll happily clip and light your cigar, and you can sit and have your beer and chill. Or if you wanted to really be in an unusual place and experience something that you're just never going to get the experience again your question makes me think of a little place on um, the island of Bolifuchi in um, the Maldives and as you know there's lots of um, lovely lovely places out there and again that's a bit like sort of Disney um, Disney-fied island it's just the colours are extraordinary everything is so beautiful so clean so pure the sand is so white the sky is so blue the sea is just the most unbelievable aquamarine color and you can stand stand on the beach and actually see the colors of the fish in the sea in that clear and there's a wow. fish yeah it, it, i mean it, it's hard to really hard to explain to you but there's a fish there called a zebra fish um and it's <laughs> unsurprisingly because they strike like a zebra and they hang around in shoals and you stand on the beach and you can see them coming. You can see this black and white thing flashing about. It's amazing. And then a baby shark comes swimming past and then um, you can see everything. And so there is a little spot on this island uh, and it's a wonderful, wonderful series of cabins and, and lodges and things. There's a little spot there next to the French restaurant, which they've turned into this little cigar terrace. And, you know, occasionally the wind blows and you might get a little tropical storm. So it's like a perspexy type thing, but it's left open most of the time. There's some comfy chairs in there and there's some uh, drinks cabinet and of course there's waiter service. And you sit down in the most surreal place, you know, like a leather armchair. And then you open your eyes and look out and you're looking at, across this extraordinary ocean with the beach gently lapping, uh, the, the sea gently lapping up the beach in front of you. There's Stingrays swimming about, baby sharks, and it's the most balmy year-round, thirty-degree, beautiful temperature, um, and that pretty much is sounds like heaven, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, it really does. I was just thinking to myself, man, I really <laughs> wish I was there right now. <laughs> that with a glass of something at your elbow, um, and and a host of memories to to, to take a full back on, I think is pretty much as much as a man can expect. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, that was the I think I want to visit there before I die at least once. Do it. Maybe maybe just go there and die there. I might be happy with that well, as yeah, well. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, it'd be a lot worse places to go, I can tell you. <laughs> like a like like a landmine field in, in Bosnia. Um uh, <laughs> let me <laughs> last last question, Nick, and then we'll 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 get out of here. In your personal collection of cigars, your personal stash, yeah, uh, if you will. How how many cigars do you own? Uh, surprisingly few, actually. Uh, a because I do smoke them, and B because I'm a poor writer and I can't afford them. <laughs> um, I have a few. I've, I have a few boxes I've laid down of things that I think are A going to be worth something, and B will be better with a few years. And then I have three or four humidors. I've got a, 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 behind me. I've got a um, cabinet humidor, a tall cabinet humidor that's got a few boxes in it it's probably got 10 15 boxes in it there's a little fridge next to that with another 
half a dozen. And then I've got um, I've got some in a, in a humidor inside in the house. Again, not many. So really, com- you know, compared to many, many people, I've probably only, I've got less than 100 boxes for sure. <laughs> okay. Less than 100 boxes. Okay. So, so you're talking like maybe 2,000. Yeah, and the most, absolute most. And I, but I enjoy them, James. You know, I don't really. I'm not one of those guys that hoards things. I don't. Well, no. How many do you smoke in a day, Nick? Um, I will have, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm here in my office, which is just in the garden, I can smoke away to my heart's content. So, I, but I normally have, I might have one or two in the day, and another one in the evening, something like that. I'm not a massive consumer. So, so like two or three a day. Yeah, Lawrence might have. 10 or 12. Sure. And he has like massive cigars. And I'll, I'll, if I have one in the morning or, you know, during the day, I'll have a little, um, a little groaner or something, you know, but um, yeah. So maybe, maybe it really does depend. I might, some days it might be one, some days it might be three. I uh, see. I, I don't think that my wife has any room to complain because I only have a thousand and you have 2000. You're like, this is paltry compared to what? Exactly. What? She should, should be else. very, very pleased that you've been so restrained. That's right. I have shown self-restraint. I try to tell her that all the time. Like, she doesn't listen. She doesn't listen. Is your wife is your is your wife supportive of this? Like, or is she just like, eh, you're gonna go smoke a cigar? It's fine. Like, just get out. She's um, yeah, she's used to it. But uh, it's been part of my life for nearly as long as she has. And um, we were childhood sweethearts, so yeah, she's seen it all. And um, nice. Uh, yeah, she sort of says, bloody hell, are you going out there again to smoke a cigar? <laughs> and that can cause an issue sometimes. But um, yeah, but um, but no, generally speaking, she, she realises what I get out of it. And, and, and because of what I do, sometimes I'm asked to go and visit somewhere nice and write about it. And of course, then she gets to tag along. So the complaints seem to disappear there. <laughs> they always do, don't they? When they get to tag along and go somewhere nice, the complaints disappear. Nick Hammond, uh, author, uh journalist uh writer uh around the world in 80 cigars the travels of an epicure pick this book up check his podcast out of the same name around the world in 80 cigars podcast nick hammond thank you so much for joining me uh i I really do appreciate it i wish you all the success in the world with this book i'm looking forward to the next one i'm going to assume there's going to be an around the world in 80 cigars uh part two (laughs) thank you james it's really good of you yeah, I am. Um, I'm working on it. Obviously, things have slowed up because of the, for obvious reasons. But yeah, I, it is in production, um, and I'm delighted to say that the sort of response has been such that it's definitely worth me doing the second one. So I, it, I am going to do it around the world in eighty cigars part de, or whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> but lovely to lovely for you to have me on. I really appreciate it, and um, and thank you to all those that have bought the book and might buy the book in the future. Go buy the book. You will not uh, be disappointed. It's a fantastic read. Uh, uh, Nick, thank you very much. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this time. Join me next time where I'm not quite sure what I'll be talking about, but I promise it'll be Simply Stogies. Stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Visit simplystogies.com for the latest articles and reviews. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for the latest in video content And please rate and review Simply Stogies on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. 
You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. If you have a question or suggestion for James or would like to be on the show, please send an email to info at simplystogies.com. The views and opinions expressed by James and his guests are their own and do not reflect those of Creative Brain Candy or their affiliates. <laughs>